Right Podcast listeners, here we go again. This is another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. This is episode 295 with Dr. John Russin. I am super psyched to share this podcast because this episode got me so amped up to the point where when I got to work, I was so hyper to train clients and see patients. So here we go. Here's Dr. John Russin. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me for the second time is Dr. John Russin. Say hello. What's going on, my man? Good to be back. Yeah, it's been like over a year. Like I was quickly scrolling through, and I'm like, oh, man, it's been over a year. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, uh, we met out in Seattle. Yep. I was uh, very humbled by having you in attendance at the Pain-Free <laughs> Performance Specialist Certification, but... It's like we almost had to throw down after that cert about a yeah. year ago, but uh, lots changed with the Cut the Shit, Get Fit podcast. I've seen you've had some amazing guests on the last couple months, the last year, and a lot uh, changing on my side of things too, but it's crazy how the, the industry and our profession evolves personally and really across the board. Yeah. It's a cool thing though, like, like there's that saying that you're not supposed to meet your idols, but I'm like, fuck that. Like I have to meet you. <laughs> and I'm like, I was so happy. I'm like, man, this guy is so humble. So down to earth. Like, like anyone listening, you gotta, gotta, you gotta meet John. <laughs> it's funny because like, there is some truth to that. Um, you know, earlier on in my career, I was a junkie for continuing education. So I was going out every weekend that I could, I spent all of my money on continuing education, but you know, in that process of a couple of years of going to like 30, 40, 50 events, it's like there were some of those guys and girls that you'd meet that you're like, man, they are so amazing. They're actually better than they are in person yeah. uh, and online. And then there are those people that you're like, oh, wow, you know, there's a reason why he's only behind a byline instead of uh, touring the world uh, in educational content. But I think at the bottom line is, Dude, authenticity fucking matters. Yeah. Being the same person on your articles as you are on your video, as you are drinking a beer at the bar with your attendees, like that's pretty important. And it's a, it's a rare skill today because I think a lot of people are like trying to smoke and mirror their business, especially yeah. in the online fitness industry. Yeah, it's also interesting because like I've been in the industry now for like 10 years and seeing certain people I've looked up to like change drastically and you're like, whoa, what the <laughs> hell happened in your life? Uh, yeah, it was like it was strength training to detox teas the next week yeah. and you're like, what the? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> whatever, like it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, let's uh, kind of start off with some easy questions. Um, easy, all right. Yeah, to get the juices flowing, you know. Um, <laughs> what What's the current book you're reading? Current book I'm reading? I am actually rereading my own books because um, Secret will be out of the bag here. I am working on a new book and trying to go back through the best of hits, articles, my previous books, trying to find what people really resonated with, you know, the kind of chapters that were like, fuck, man, that's great. And also the kind of stuff that's like, man, maybe that didn't even get read. 
Yeah. So I'm trying to go back through uh, specifically functional power training, functional hypertrophy training right now. And then this is the big chore, uh, trying to go through 1,400 articles that I've written over the last eight years. And I'm trying to like reinvent some of the old shit, making it new again, but yeah. also trying to bring in the old school methods and making them even better, trying to produce something that, again, will hopefully you know stick out a little bit in the industry just because of not only the effectiveness of the methods, but also the practicality of the information. So is like internally driven as that sounds, I'm actually reading my own shit right now, which is probably the first time I've ever done that. That's pretty cool, though. Like now that you're reading back from your old products, like have you like insert sections like, oh, man, I could have like done so much more in this section or so much more in this other thing. Dude, it's amazing what you learn because, you know, January 1 of 2016, I released functional hypertrophy training. And, you know, that was one hell of a resource. It still is. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding, 10,000 success stories and counting. There's something to be said about like, hey, there are foundational principles of exercise science, of physiology, of strength training that will hold up forever. So there's a lot of that in that book. But also there's things that I'm like, man, I've learned a lot in four years. You know, I don't necessarily do things totally different, but I just do them better now because at the end of the day, we've had so many more data points come through and utilize our systems that the system has fine tuned itself. I think many times like coaches don't give their methods or the types of blueprints that they put in for their clients trainings enough time to work because if you do you know you need reliability and testing you know it's a scientific process you can't just go oh uh, four workouts or four weeks of workouts or even four months of workouts you have to see things over a longer duration of time to actually prove a theory prove a method not only in the science But what matters more is the application of actually getting real-world results for people. So for us, it's getting them jacked. It's making them strong and 100% keeping them healthy. So, you know, there's things looking back even a couple of years ago. I don't disagree with myself fundamentally, but I like to think that I'm a better coach today than I was yesterday, than I was four or eight or ten years ago, or even 13 and a half years ago where I didn't know fucking one thing training my first football client for the first time. Nice. Yeah, like, that's an awesome thing because, like, every new coach I meet, I always tell them, like, you should always, like, kind of review your last year and see, yeah. like, how much you've progressed how, or, like, a small little tweak you've done in a certain exercise or a certain article or whatever it is. And if you're constantly, like, improving yourself, you know you're on the right path. Well, I think there's some truth to this, too. Everyone's trying to improve by doing more or different stuff. I would challenge people to go back and look at their auditing process, whether it's client management, whether it's programming, whether it's your soft skill communications, and see the shit that you're doing that's not necessarily working. You know, what's that 20% of fat that you can cut right off? And that is the thing that I think will allow more opportunities for those shiny objects, for those new methods to shine through. And it's not just addition for addition's sake. It's addition because you subtracted the shit that you kind of proved that wasn't really yielding at a high level. Yeah. Like, also, another good question is, like, looking at your old um, programs, were you at, like, any point you're like, man, I was so smart putting those two exercises together with that much volume. Damn, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) There's things, yeah, there's things that you look back on and you're like, 
you know, what was I thinking in this beta test process? You know, I'm looking back at like FHT where we have this secondary lower body day that matches like a couple soul crushing exercises, like front squats for sets of 12 with Bulgarians for sets of 15 together. And you're like, we call it the death set. And I was like, Oh yeah, there was a reason why we called that the death superset. Um, but you look back on things like that, and you're like, yeah, there's a reason why I did that. But there are certain things that I want to like applaud myself with. And then there's other things like, hey, a lot's changed in the last four or five years, or we started beta testing this thing six years ago. So I'm looking back, and I'm like, man, people are using tech more than ever. People are sleeping like shit more than ever, let alone <laughs> sleeping alone. And they are more chronically stressed out and overstimulated than ever before with cell phones, with computers, with your fucking Instagram feed. Instagram really didn't exist for me when FHT was released. So it like wasn't even a thing. Now it drives many people's lifestyles. So when you look at a, a program like functional hypertrophy training and how much volume is over a five-day period with only two days of recoverability work, you know, that was designed for almost like a different state of the industry. You know, today's totally different than it was in 2016. And I see that, you know, necessarily volume isn't the key driver that I once thought it was for hypertrophy and strength training because other things have changed. Lifestyle factors have changed. It is different in 2020 than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And that's why I think that, you know, the old methods, the things that are proved by peer-reviewed research (laughs) They're always going to be evolving because humanity evolves, society evolves, culture evolves. And I think that we have to have a better pulse as coaches on our clients' lifestyles because really that's the biggest predictor in what we have to change in our programming to continue to make it effective for them. No, I like it. And I even remember like after I met you, I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy your program. And I remember being so freaking sore in my legs. Like <laughs> that first week I was like, oh, fuck this, this program. But, um, you're like, why doesn't John have bigger calves? I just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, like you mentioned, like there was a lot of front squats and I think back squats as well. And like, I know Mike Boyle's a big fan of like the rear foot elevated instead of the back squat. And I don't think I've read an article or like seen a video or anything like that. You chatting about like, you know, what's your take? Like, do you still like back squatting or would you prefer someone doing kind of like a rear foot elevated split squat? Yeah, Mike and I actually talked about this a couple months ago. We were over Mm. on Instagram, and then we did a podcast about this. Because everyone knows at this point in time that I am a big fan of squatting. I like squatting with the goblet and a dumbbell. I like squatting with a safety squat bar. I like front squatting. I like back squatting. I like box squatting. Oof, okay. (laughs) So now everyone who knows my stuff also knows that I fucking love going functional meathead as well. So I love people doing split squats, rear foot elevated split squats, front foot elevated split squats, lunges, lateralization of single leg work, all of these different things. And all of a sudden it's like, oh man, John, you got to fucking take a stance now. Are you a squat guy or are you a single leg guy? It's like, man, I don't have to choose because these are two fundamentally different movement patterns. Now, people argue like, oh, well, a split squat is just a squat done on single leg. It's knee dominant. And a single leg RDL is just a hinge done on single leg. It's the same thing. 
It really truly isn't. Just because of the way that the body works, I look at like a single leg or an asymmetrical split stance for a lower body setup as a different movement pattern because you look at the developmental keystone positions of the human body and the things that people have to go through, especially children going from birth all the way up to being able to walk and locomotive body through space. You know, the bilateral squat and the single leg stance, these are two different things that happen in the developmental sequence at two different points in time. So for me, being the functional meathead, I can justify going on bilateral squats, going hard, going heavy, still training them extremely smart. But I can also highly justify putting a whole lot more volume through single leg patterns because they can be spine safer. They can be hip safer. They can be safer on the knees for the right point in time, depending on the knee and the shin angle. So there are a point in time where when you figure out that both things can work, it just depends on the goal in mind and more specifically the individual that is yielding this exercise or tool. That's a powerful thing because, you know, we try to have these arguments X versus Y, apples versus oranges. It's not a preference thing. You should be able to eat both apples and oranges happily. The key is that you just make sure that they're the ones that are going to line up best with your goals. Yeah, it was really well said. And, like, if you really wanted to, like, piss people off on social media, you just go, like, back squats are stupid. And then you're going to have, like, this plethora of people going in, like, you're wrong. It's uh, interesting because um, I think that's uh, one of the reasons that people gravitate towards my content, gravitate towards our social, and, of course, our products and our certification courses, that the best description that I can give for my fundamental thought of how people should train is non-dogmatically. I think there is a place and a time for fucking everything, literally everything. Spinal flexion, the same as spinal neutral. Single leg, the same as squatting. Being able to deadlift with a straight bar and a trap bar. I truly think that there is a place and a time for everything. And that kind of pisses people off in a certain way because they want to have these strict rules that they live by, that they train by. I must barbell back squat because I am a man and men barbell back squat. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. You know, you are less of a human being, you piece of shit, because you can't pull that straight bar off the ground with a conventional stance because only fucking pussies go in and do the split stance and do that fake sumo stance deadly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's bullshit, man. It's bullshit because these are restrictive rules that we place on the training process that literally take away from fun. It takes away from the experience. And long-term, it takes away from our health and our wellness because we end up forcing a square peg into a round hole, the cookie cutter approach to training. And I, I just don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. That's why I can get along with Louis Simmons the same way as I can get along with John Wolf, the functional training guru at Onnit, that does all the unconventional training. Because at the end of the day, it's about movement quality. It's about learning how to move well. And it's being able to challenge movement in different ways with different tools and with different intensities. And I think if we break everything back down and we just start having the goal of moving well again, moving like a human being is able to move, and then trying to work something that, that is a multi-modal-based approach to health, fitness, and training, meaning that we have all these different physical disciplines 
being able to be developed simultaneously, that's the big secret, is that we can do everything. We just need to make sure that all of these things symbiotically live in the same environment. Yeah, and I think like a lot of times people are like this fitness enthusiasts in general, when they kind of do their own searches online of like training, they see yeah, the back squat, the conventional barbell deadlift <laughs> and the bench press, and they're like, okay, that's what I need to do. But like, you know, the general population that's been sitting at their desk for the last two decades and hasn't exercised at all goes to the gym and looks like a melted candle underneath the barbell. It's like, <laughs> well, maybe we need to work on some other things, right? Because I think a lot of people just jump to those things like, oh, that's the gold standard. But like, for me, I work with a lot of general population people and I'm like, we can get there just like baby steps. We'll get there. <laughs> well, let's talk about this for a second because people do have a very close-minded approach to the way that they should train based on their theoretical goal and not their actual need at that point in time in their life. Mm -hmm. So we go right to, oh, I need big legs. I need big legs, therefore I need to barbell back squat because fucking Kai Green barbell back squat 700 pounds <laughs> or sets of 50. And it's this bad comparison because you know, you're not Kai Green. You're not even close. You haven't trained in two years. You've been sitting at a desk 40 hours a week for the last year and a half, and you can barely stand up straight. So I think there's a certain truth to being able to do foundational skills very, very well, and then little by little in a step-by-step -step approach, be able to add more challenges, more variations, and harder positions with loading in mind up the movement pattern pyramid, which you are of course, very familiar with from the PPSC. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't start people off with barbell back squat. I just think it's going to be a huge mismatch for people's needs. We start people off with body weight movement. Hey, be able to control your body through space. A lot of people haven't earned that right quite yet. But very quickly, we move things into things like goblet squats, things like box squats, front squats, all these different variations, using all the cool tools that keep things sexy and exciting for people. And then we build up their movement capacity from the ground up. And then all of a sudden, a couple months down the line, they're able to get to that barbell back squat more successfully because they're stronger, they move better, and they are more likely to have consistency and sustainable change in their systems because they've actually put in the work to get to that point instead of just jumping up a flight of stairs and trying not to fall back down. Yeah, and I think another thing too is like, I, I hate having like a new client come to me and I always ask them the question, I'm like, have you had a trainer before? And it's always yes. And I'm like, well, why aren't you with that person right now? And it's usually a terrible story. And it's like, you know, with all this education that we have available, like yours and like every other big name in the industry, it's surprising to me, like we still have terrible trainers like you know getting someone that could barely do a bodyweight squat and then having them like push a sled and do walking lunges and they're sore for like two weeks and i'm like god damn like especially like i i even have an online client that came to me because she started listening to my podcast and the fact that i brought up that i do an assessment with online <laughs> clients like blew her mind and she has like a terrible mangled shoulder and her sh coach was getting her to do lateral raises and it kept yeah. getting worse and i'm like fuck like come on <laughs> yeah oh. we see that a lot though and i think uh the professional trainer like you and i 
sometimes we are so far away from being that new green trainer in the big box gym that we forget what it's like to develop a career expertise. Mm -hmm. You know, you just said that you've been training for 10 years. I've been training for almost 14 years. You almost forget about what that first year was like. I'm not giving excuses to some of the new trainers in the industry that aren't doing their homework, aren't going in and getting certified, aren't doing assessments, aren't giving a fuck about their clients and their successes. But I think that there is some starting point because the reality is this. Four years ago, we had the best statistics possible showing us that we had about 200,000 personal trainers or fitness professionals working in the United States. By the year 2025, we are going to have 300,000 personal trainers and fitness professionals in America. That is a huge increase over a 10 year span. And we're looking at this like, yeah, we're gonna have some hobbyists come in, you know, the kind of people that will leave the profession within six months on average, or we're gonna have those people that continue on grinding it out, getting the experience, having the success stories with their clients, making mistakes, but also having things that push them forward in their career and becoming what I like to call a professional trainer. A professional trainer is somebody that is not only certified, but they have an education. They're not only have an education, but they have a real world education in the gym that has experience with clients. They have experience with the clients so much so that they have a track record of success producing results on many different aspects of the industry. Fat loss, muscle gain, strength gain, performance, getting people out of pain, all these different things. Because at the end of the day, the more general we can be and the broader scope we can be as a professional trainer, the more people we can help. So we look at the next five years. You know, we're going to be at 300,000 fitness professionals in the United States. We are also seeing emerging data right now saying that in the next 10 years, by 2030, over 50% of the American population is going to be clinically obese. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at these two statistics. Okay, 50% of the population for the first time in American history is going to be clinically obese by 2030. By 2030, we're also going to have over 300,000 fitness professionals. What the fuck is going on? We have more knowledge than we've had ever before. We have more fitness professionals than we've had ever before. Our profession is actually evolving more than it ever has. We have more science, more literature, more experience, hopefully. But we still have sicker, fatter, and more chronically pained people than ever before. Man, this is the question. This is the question that is going to be a make or break for our profession. How do we take this manpower that we already have and that's just getting bigger, and how are we helping the people that are in the most need that are just getting sicker, fatter, and more pain? Where does that change come? So where do you think most coaches like fail? Because like, you know, working with the general population, a lot of it is food and the emotional attachment to food and behaviors and things like that. And, you know, sometimes you're like pulling teeth out to actually get real change. So maybe like for this next question, like in your opinion, what should coaches focus more time on compared to like reading a research review? <laughs> what we should be focusing more time on is a client centric management approach. Your success is dependent on your client's success. 
But we have this misconception in our industry that the only thing that you are supposed to do as a trainer is to train that client on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., and somehow they're going to get results. So your job is fucking over after those three hours per week. <laughs> hey, I did the right squat pattern today. Hey, I made sure that we got their heart rate up to a zone three, and then I brought it back down to a recovery zone within 58 seconds. And all of a sudden, we forget about the human, the humanity of training. What happens the other 23 hours of the day? What happens on the off days? What happens when your client is on their own? Because a professional trainer always is with their clients. They will walk them through the process. They will guide the process, even if they're not physically with that client in the gym. And the reason that most trainers aren't doing this is it's fucking hard. It's fucking hard that on a Sunday morning, you gotta make sure that you invoke behavior change on your client before they hit Dunkin' Donuts. You have to be able to manage a Friday night, making sure that you know that seventh beer doesn't turn into that 14th beer, that somehow we can invoke behavior change in the real time and actually have consistent of habit formation. These are the hard things because what it looks like for most personal trainers is that we're on our cell phones 24 seven. We are texting our clients. We are giving them off day workouts. We are emailing out spreadsheets. We are having touch points. And that's a big reason that the burnout in our industry is at such extreme levels right now. Because I don't think that personal trainers get into the fitness industry going, hey, I'm gonna make $3 million next year. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna be a fucking millionaire because I'm training clients on the floor. I don't think people get into the fitness industry for that. I know I didn't. I got into the fitness industry because I wanted to help people. I wanted to help invoke change in their life. You know, it started for me in professional athletics, Olympic level sport, and then it transitioned into general fitness clientele. But I today care more about the clients changing their health and wellness than I do somebody going into the NFL combine trying to get their 40 yard dash time down. Because I think that's where the power of the profession is. And I think that's what draws so many into the profession. It's the ability to help others. And it's the ability to have people find a way to make physicality a part of their life that makes every aspect of their life better because of it. I always say training should help you live a better life. It shouldn't take away from your current quality of life. That doesn't make any sense. But many times we forget that success at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of a training block, at the end of a training year, it not only depends on the workouts that you're physically giving to your clients in person, it depends on what they're doing on their off days. It depends on their nutrition, their lifestyle, their sleep, their stress, their family life, their commutes at work. All this stuff matters. And again, I mentioned before, there, we are more chronically stressed than we've ever been before in humanity. That stuff needs to change the way that we train people. But we need to do a better job actually managing the other 23 hours of people's days and they're off days from the gym, if we really truly wanna have life-changing results, not the kind of results that are, hey, I lost 100 pounds, and then two years later, it's back. I'm talking about changing life for good, creating habits that will fuel lifestyle into people's 60s, 70s, 80s, to the fucking grave. That is what I think we need to start doing more of, 
but again, it's hard. It's hard because it takes more work. Damn, you are on fire with this podcast. <laughs> um, where was I going to go with that? Oh, yeah. You mentioned burnout, and I'm kind of curious of, like, what do you put into practice to prevent yourself from burnout? Because, like, you're all over the world. You're writing articles. You have kids, a wife. Like, <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> it's something that I battle. Uh, I'm not going to sit here on the podcast and say I don't struggle with balance, that I don't struggle with burnout, because I've been multiple times this past year you know, about one hour away from being burned out and not being able to work anymore. So I have a very challenging schedule. You know, I'm extremely fortunate to have the kind of opportunities that I have, the kind of schedule that I run, but it's also an extraordinary challenge of my lifetime. Last year, I traveled 25 times. I went to 15 different countries and I slept in a hotel room more than 250 days. Jeez. <laughs> I also did not miss one training session. I also hit lifetime PRs on my squat, bench, and deadlift, and I maintain a body fat percentage and gaining two pounds of muscle in that process, even with eating out almost 100% of the time when I was on the road. We certified over 1,600 fitness professionals on four continents last year. I successfully coached hundreds of one-on-one -on -one online coaching clients. And we also sold tens of thousands of single cell programs to some of the best coaches and end users in the world that had a huge amount of success on things like FHT and functional power training. At the end of the day, at the end of this year, I look back on it and I go, whoa, shit, you know, just mentioning those numbers, how the fuck did that all happen? When I figured out that I had to work smarter not only harder, or for me, I work smarter so I can work more smarter, I figured out that it had to be a team-based approach. Um, I have more support systems today than I've ever had in my life. You know, I have two kids at home, I have a supportive wife, but it's more than that. We have now a team of 15 world-class professionals at the Pain-Free Performance Specialist Certification. Here at the drjohnrussin.com headquarters, we have four full-time coaches that work hand-in-hand -hand with me every single day that I'm here in Madison. Uh, on my P4 personalized performance coaching group, we have the time that I'm allowed to spend now that I can't afford to spend with my one-on-one -on -one clients to over-deliver their results. So all these things symbiotically work together to such a point that when I do have free time, I've been okay this year saying, hey, man, I'm on this flight from Sydney to LAX. I'm going to watch four fucking movies. I'm going to have a beer while I do it, and I'm just going to chill out. And it's the first time in my career that I've actually done that. And I always felt guilty kind of doing stuff like that. Hey, guys, I'm going to leave my cell phone upstairs. I'm going to go down and watch uh, fucking Secret Life of Pets with my son. I'm going to burn 90 minutes here. I'm not going to be uh, anywhere except for right here right now with my son. That is actually the thing that's helped recovery the most. You know, I've talked to a lot of smart people over the years. I have the opportunity to be around the smartest coaches in the world almost on a weekly basis. And somebody said something very smart to me because they were kind of breaking down my schedule. And they're like, man, how the fuck does all this stuff end up being so successful? And how do you run all this stuff? You know, it's only one person. It's not just one person, it's a team of people. But more so, there's only so much that a human can do, right? Like, even the most successful entrepreneurs, the most successful coaches, the most successful trainers, the ones that are bigger than life itself, 
they are only capable of so much mental, emotional, physical energy per day. And when it comes down to it, you have, you know, as soon as that glass gets filled up to the brim, you start just pouring water off onto the ground after that. So you just need to figure out how big your glass is and figure out ways to make that glass bigger as opposed to continuously working harder and harder and harder and just wasting your efforts. So, you know, it's something that I continue to struggle with, but it's also something that I see light at the end of the tunnel. And I actually love every fucking day. I wake up in the morning and I'm happy because I am a service-based profession. I get geared up because I get to work with such amazing people on a daily basis from all different aspects, from education, from coaching, from physical, from online, all these different places. And it's always a challenge, but I think that if you're around the right people, if you're working with the right people and you're doing the right passion projects that you were meant to do in your life, that that in turn fuels the fire. So, you know, if you're struggling with that kind of stuff, everyone has struggled and I continue to struggle with this, but it's something that we are lucky sometimes to be in the position to struggle because, you know, not everything has always been this awesome. Uh, Few and far between years have had this amount of challenge with success. Many of those challenge came with huge failures, especially early on for me. So now I'm kind of curious of like, where does all this like work ethic come from? Like, were you kind of just born into a family where your parents just worked their asses off and you're like, okay, well, that's my standard. That's what I got to do. Or like, did something trigger you in your life where you're like, if I put 100% in every single day, I'm going to become successful one day? I, it's not like my parents were like construction workers or they were working the night shifts. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that my parents early on instilled in me is that they found what they loved to do and their work became their passion. Their passion became their lifestyle. It's something that they lived the same on Monday as they did on Sunday. And my dad was an athletic director, uh, so he managed a lot of different sports teams, health curriculum. He worked in uh, the Williamsville Central School District up in Buffalo, New York. So he was always at games on the weekends. Every single night I remember being at a football game or a basketball game or a swim event or something like that, even, you know, being two, three, four years old. And I remember being like, man, this is fucking cool. You know, this is cool. My dad's working right now. He's watching, you know, the varsity football team, you know, kick ass on a Friday night, he's working right now. And people love to be around him because he was so passionate about helping these kids. And I remember thinking that that was the coolest thing in the world at that point in time. But on the opposite end of things, my mom worked at the university. So she was an administrator at, um, you know, where I did my doctorate. And she lived a very, very passionate life as well because she was able on the opposite end of side of things, was able to help professionals in the health and human services industry, we're thinking about physical therapists, physician assistants, nurses, able to level up their education so they could not only make more money, but they could have more impact on their patients and their clients. I remember thinking that was fucking cool too. I'm like, my mom loves to go to work. And a lot of the things that she was doing, she was doing it not only in the nine to five job, but she was teaching classes at night because a lot of the professional, like the doctorate level programs were night school. She was working on the weekends for specialty courses. She was doing a lot of those things. So I I grew up between these two different places. So the weight room in the athletic field and hanging out in the offices of a university. So I spent my entire upbringing in these two different places. 
And I just remember thinking like, man, if I could find something that I love, like my parents love, every day would be easy. And that's one of the best advice was my dad ever gave me was, hey man, just figure out what you want to do, make sure it's what you want to do, and then just go full bore at it because it should be something that is automatic. You would always say the term automatic. It should be automatic you going in and giving your best with your clients. It should be automatic waking up in the morning, making sure that you feel the best because you got your workout in before you work with somebody. It should almost become automatic. So I, I had to find that, but you know, it probably took 10 years after that to find where automatic lied because you know, not everyone has like this linear approach up into your profession. There's many struggles along the way, but I think as long as you kind of figure out your why behind what you're doing, but also getting enough positive feedback from the people that you're working with that continuously fuel your fire, that eventually you just wait around long enough, you do the right things long enough, you will in turn become successful. Yeah, I think now, especially like with the generation of millennials and whatever the next generation is called, I can't even remember, but like, a lot of because like I interviewed a one over my um, good friends who owns a big franchise of gyms and he's been hiring a lot of like younger people and one yeah. of the questions I gave him was like you know how do you teach the so-called millennial like work ethic and like he started laughing he's like man it's really hard but sometimes you get like that one person that's the outlier that's just like holy crap I can mold this person into like the next big thing but I find like a lot of younger people going into the industry they're kind of just expecting things to kind of happen but it's like sometimes you just got to put your face in the dirt and just keep going and going until like you can take that breath of air and finally see the sun dude there's no doubt about that because i can remember you know graduating with a doctorate and thinking me and my classmates we're on top of the fucking world i'm dr <laughs> john russin right now like that fucking means anything today yeah but i remember after graduation reality really kicking in hard for a lot of my classmates reality was that you still made fucking shitty money and most likely you had to pay off these student loans to the point where you did a job that you didn't want to do anymore so all of a sudden this mystere this escalation of education turns into oh man i'm gonna have to do this shitty job for the next 40 years of my life just to pay off these loans let alone make a life for myself and I kind of went the opposite direction on that because at the point in time where everyone was just trying to pay back loans, trying to make money straight out of school, I did like the unthinkable. So I left graduate school and I took uh, the job of all jobs. I got an opportunity out in Southern California to work at a sports performance center, world-renowned sports performance center, working with some of the best athletes in the world. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds like, wow, that's a great opportunity. Here's the kicker. I got paid $19 an hour, one nine, not $90 an hour, 19. <laughs> and I lived in a days in motel on the side of a fucking highway for four months because that's all I could afford. I had to go out and shop at Walmart and actually go on a calorie cut because I couldn't afford to fucking eat any food. You know, every single dime that I had went to continuing education. And every Saturday and Sunday, I was in that gym trying to work harder and trying to work more hours for my clients. That is a, it's an interesting decision that somebody would make because, you know, I'm in that, uh, I'm in that age demographic. I'm in that uh, millennial kind of uh, age group. And I decided to go and live a hard life, even being Dr. So-and-so. But that decision to go out there and kind of embrace the suck for a little bit while getting experience 
while working my fucking balls off and being able to do something that nobody else would even fathom doing because it was so hard. That was probably the thing that set me ahead the most. And it was the thing that now as a business owner, you know, I have four businesses that I am the sole owner of. I look at when we hire our coaches coming in, I try to look at the kid that comes in, no matter if he's 21, 25, or 40, that has that kind of ethic that is in it for the right reasons. Because I like to think, you know, if you're a coach over at drjohnrussin.com with us, that you are going to have a PhD in real life training application education in a matter of six months. So I look at it as a huge opportunity here. But I also know that there are few and far between people that will look at it the same way as I look at it. But we've had really a good amount of success getting into even younger and younger demographics with our coaching staff. Whereas I have uh, actually every single coach that I'm working with right now in Madison, they are graduates of the University of Wisconsin, which is a great school. They have worked in the big box gym. They have done it for multiple years. They've learned how to sell. They've learned how to train. They've learned how to really kind of embrace the suck a little bit because there's nothing sexy about working at a big box gym. And then they've taken all those skills and of course our guidance and education and got it to the point where they become very good real-time problem solvers and they're able to be better human managers. And that's the thing I think stands out the most for our staff is that these guys not only know my PPSC, they not only know our training educations, but they know how to talk to people they know how to manage people. They know how to look at all those little things that every other coach doesn't necessarily think about, you know, sleep quality, hydration, stress, because they had to have done it. You know, they're not skipping steps ahead, but you know, it's tough today. I think a lot of kids are coming out of school, the ones that do have these four-year degrees, especially in exercise science, and they're thinking that the industry owes them something. Industry fucking doesn't owe you anything. You owe the industry something, and more so, you owe the clients that you're planning to work with your heart, your soul, and your passion. And that's just not developed in a classroom. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Education is very important. There's a reason I went for eight and a half years of school, but it's not the only reason. It's a reason to get a base level of principle base for what you plan on doing for your career. But above and beyond that, you know, actually giving a shit and actually being able to work hard and do the right things, that's what's going to separate a lot of these kids coming up and through the profession for the first time from fizzling out or becoming that professional trainer that we've been talking about. Yeah, and like I started a mentorship at my gym with four new coaches, and one of the messages I always give them, I'm like, what's going to separate you in the industry is not as many certifications or continuing education you have, but like how you can connect with another human being, like yeah. being a better person, and like like you said, giving a fuck, like going outside of yourself and giving value to somebody in front of you, like that's going to be a huge, huge, huge thing for their career. This is a crazy story on those lines. I've actually never told this story before, but I think it's a good one about connecting with human beings and actually making that emotional connection first and then bringing value second as a professional. You know, early on in my career, I had this, uh, this elderly woman that came in and saw me. So we did a little bit of training, a little bit of therapy, a little bit of everything. But you know what? I had a connection with her because... You know, I'm a people person. I like to connect with human beings. I like to be the best part of somebody's day. So I had this lady. She was awesome. She didn't squat the house or she didn't deadlift a barbell off the ground. But you know what? She got pretty fit. 
and she was able to actually move better and you know she was coming in for neck and shoulder pain hey her neck and shoulder feel really good about two weeks later she goes hey john she actually text messaging me hey john uh, my uh, son-in-law my son-in-law is in town and he's looking to get a couple workouts in and can you take him on i don't know who the hell her son-in-law is yeah, sure. It would be my pleasure. You know, anyone who is a family member of yours must be as awesome as you are. That was my response. And in walks a Cy Young Award winner to come in and work with me because he was in town. And I'm sitting there waiting for this guy, the son-in-law, to walk in. And my fucking jaw about drops on the ground. I'm like, oh, uh, that's you? That, that, that's uh, your wife's mom? Yep. <laughs> and I remember being like, man, it's a good thing that I was on all those sessions that we were doing goblet squats when we were walking on the treadmill. And, you know, I treat everyone correctly because I would have never th thought this opportunity would be available to me as a young professional, let alone it was. It wasn't because, oh, Dr. So-and-so did his dissertation in this. Oh, he has a certification in this. It was simply, hey, this kid's really good. He makes me feel good. He knows his shit, obviously, because we're getting good results. And she made a very emotional connection to somebody who is you know, making tens of millions of dollars on the field you know, playing baseball. And that was a, uh, it was a paradigm shift for me very early on. That was a paradigm shift. You know, I was like, man, I should be treating every single client like they're a Cy Young Award winner. I should be treating every single client like they're my only client. I should be delivering them the best training, duh, I'm a trainer, but I should also be delivering them the best experience that makes them feel joyous as human beings. And if I can do that enough, I know I'll fucking be successful. I'm making no money right now, but I know I'll be successful if I can make people feel like this and I can make people continue on their journey in fitness. And I mean, 10 years later, that's what we try to do every day is make somebody feel like that woman felt, make somebody feel like, the, like this athlete felt. I want people to feel like that no matter if they're reading an article, if they're sitting in the audience of a pain-free performance specialist certification, if I'm working with them one-on-one -on -one here in Madison, if I'm coaching them online. I want them to feel like, man, John gives a fuck. And if we can continue to do that, you know, it's going to be a happy life. It's going to be a successful life, not only for me and my staff, my coaches, but it's going to be more so for those clients. Honestly, that's like the best advice because it's like you, you never know like how much impact you can have on a person and like every like Christmas, like the fact that I get gifts from my clients, like I'm like, holy crap. Unbelievable. Like, I, it's like, I, I guess I, I am doing a pretty good job if you're giving me this bottle of wine or this gift card or like, <laughs> like I'm like, oh damn, okay. Like you just never know how much you actually truly mean to a client until those kind of moments and you're like, fuck, like I need to keep going i gotta keep like meeting that bar i'm like pushing it every single year a little bit because it's like yeah you never know what's going to happen next and you know that one person will talk to another person and then it'll just spread like wildfire well let's call it what it is here because we have an opportunity as being fitness professionals as being the third most impactful person on our clients lives mm -hmm. you know hopefully that first is their family and their relationships in their house their second is going to be that occupation that they have that they're probably spending 40 hours a week at. But we are that third person. Who spends more quality time with that person than us? We do. 
two hours a week, four hours a week, five hours a week, week after week, month after month, year after year. We get and invoke huge amounts of change, not only physically, but mentally, psychologically, emotionally. We are connectors of human beings. We are life managers above X's and O's of training. And we have to respect that more because we can turn around somebody's life. We can be good people and we can have success with these people having success. I think that we need to take that more seriously. It's not just punching the clock. If you plan on being a professional trainer, you better be servicing those people like it's your mother. You know, if you can't treat them that well, then you shouldn't be in the profession at all. I think that's a good place to end it because, like, that was just spitting fire. <laughs> but uh, maybe for the last question, like, for 2020, what should people pay attention to coming from your end or any other, like, stuff that you want to promote on my show you can right now? No, you know, I'm not here for promoting anything. <laughs> I appreciate the conversation, but... You know, we have a lot going on in 2020. Um, certification course is going to be doing 100 events across the world this year. That's a big, that's a big course offering. We're going to continue to coach our clients. I'm going to continue to write and have success on the content side of things, trying to service people before they even buy something from us, and hopefully just continue on this momentum that hopefully we've been doing the right way for a while now. But hey, man, this is this is fun. I appreciate you having me on. I know. I know this came together quickly, but it is always fun to talk to another coach, another content curator that fucking gets it because I'm on podcast after podcast with people asking me about who are you, John, and all these <laughs> bullshit questions. But I think it's more meaningful to dive deep on this stuff, peel this fucking onion back yeah. and actually have some thought provoking conversations that people can get value from. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Appreciate it, brother. All right, so that's going to wrap it up with Dr. John Russin. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you don't follow this guy, you definitely should. Check out his stuff. We think really alike, and honestly, he's producing such good content out there to help other fitness professionals and everyday folks like that just love going to the gym but might have an ache or two in the shoulder, hip, whatever it is. But um, thank you so much for the support, you guys. Like, we're almost at 300 episodes, and I got some more big interviews coming out. I am so excited to share them with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, share this podcast with your friends and family. Give me a five-star rating. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. Follow my journey. Let me help you. If you have anything that you need, feel free to reach out. I actually answer back. Damn. All right. So have an awesome day, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you all.